Welcome to the Thresholds podcast brought to you by Rahamim Ecology Centre. Sharing the voice of pioneers in spiritual ecology, facilitating new and ancient wisdom for the challenges of our earth community. This particular recording is the edited interview. We also have longer uncut versions available on our website along with show notes to accompany each episode so you find out more about all the ideas, people and books mentioned in the show. Bridget Speduto is director of the Well Spirituality Centre in LaGrange Park, Chicago, Illinois. The Well is a centre for our sacred unity with the divine, with earth and one another. Bridget describes herself as committed to cultivating and participating in the Christic field of inclusive, outpoured and communing love. Weaving storytelling, scripture, theological and scientific concepts, Bridget invites adults and children into the profound presence and mystery of the sacred around and within. Bridget is an associate of the Congregation of St. Joseph, a spiritual director, educator and retreat facilitator. Welcome to Thresholds, Bridget Spaduto. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you, Sally. So you are the director of the Well Spirituality Centre, which is well known to many of us here in Australia, and uh, we really admire and respect the work that you're doing there. Thank you. I was wondering if you could just um, tell us, for you personally, if you could go back to your earliest memories of your own spiritual or religious experiences as a child that may have led you to this point in your life. Well, I think as a, a child... I just love the outdoors, even though I lived in a suburb of Chicago. <laughs> so not not in the country, but certainly, you know, an outdoor experience. I was one of 13 kids, and um, we were only 12 and a half years apart. And I was number six, and um, my mom was always telling us, go outside for her sanity. <laughs> but it was really gift to us. And... Um, I can remember, which of course I didn't name as a spiritual experience at the time, but um, on Sunday, my dad would often take us for a ride, and we were like a pack of puppies in the back seat of the station wagon. Um, and I remember laying down in the back seat, and I would do that on purpose, well, like you know, in the way back of a station wagon, so that I could see the stars. Mm-hmm. And I just, it would be mesmerizing to me. It was, I don't know, it, it was an experience of home to, to watch the night sky. And that continued all my life as I grew into a teenager. We spent summers in Michigan along Lake, the shores of Lake Michigan. And that's what we would do at night. We would watch the stars and ponder if there were more stars in the sky or more grains of sand on the beach. Mm. <laughs> so... Um, and at the same time, were you having a, a religious upbringing? Yes, I was um, raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. My dad, Italian Catholic, and my mom, Irish Catholic. And by virtue of the fact that they had 13 kids in 12 and a half years, they were good Catholics by yeah. the standards of the time. <laughs> Um, my dad had a deep devotion to the Blessed Mother. And so we grew up with a grotto to the Blessed Mother in our yard and um, a lot of religious icon around the house. But um, he converted our house 
you know, the kids came so fast. It was a two flat with three bedrooms and an upstairs and he converted it into an eight bedroom house and took the upstairs ki- kitchen pantry and turned it into a chapel. Oh, goodness. And so this is what I grew up with. <laughs> and, and when you made your first communion, one of his sisters, my aunt mill gave us our patron saint. And so we all had our little statues of our patron saints and they were in this chapel. (laughs) And when I was afraid at night, the last thing you would do is run to mom and dad because they, it was off limits. Like they were off duty. And I would go to my older sisters and they would say, go get your statue. Hmm. And so some kids sleep with a teddy bear because they're afraid we slept with the statues of our patron saints. (laughs) Oh, wow. They were religious experiences, but they weren't spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. I think those moments of connection to nature, those were my spiritual experiences. Yeah, and I'm hearing that they were kind of separate from one another. They weren't kind of integrated at that time. Exactly. Mm. Well, they weren't in the church for sure. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I think that that's part of the work we're about in these days is, is waking, um, you know, people up to what we have forgotten, right? The, the church and, and our whole culture, religious culture and social culture moved away from our relationship with earth. Mm. And now it's about, uh, that's the good work. I think the Pope Francis is trying to do. Mm. And I want to go deeply into this um, because you are, currently an associate of the Sisters of St. Joseph, is that right? Right, right. And so somewhere along the line you've had an encounter with the sisters. Can you tell us a bit about that? And we'll yeah, I, I sure yeah. I sure can. So I think that I, you know, you said that you're right, the nature and then the traditional religion of my parents didn't really wake me up. But what woke me up spiritually that tied me to the church was my older sister. Mm-hmm. She was... Um, well, it, there was a brother between us, so she was three years older than me, and um, <clears throat> she was my first spiritual teacher, and I think she was probably about 18. She made a retreat, and she came back on fire, just on fire in love with God, and she woke that up in me, and so I was pretty young. I, I can remember being maybe 16 and um, and really having a very alive sense, that fire in me and that hunger, um, you know, for union, uh, kind of a mystical experience of, of my relationship with God. And I was taught by Dominican nuns. And so my first retreat experiences were with the Dominican sisters at their mother house, and they were deep and profound um, experiences for me. And um, this, my sister, um, her name was Cindy. She passed away when she was 42 of cancer. But through her whole, my whole relationship with her, that's what she was doing. And it was waking me up and reminding me all of the time. And uh, she was quite a gifted um, liturgist. She was a campus minister. And she could create the most beautiful liturgy and beautiful prayers that were like poetry. And I, I just really, I was really moved by the work she did. 
And when she died, all of a sudden I had that gift. It was like I learned resurrection in Cindy's passing. She, um, it's like she rose in me. And I never was professionally trained, but I was teaching first grade at a Catholic school at the time. And I was put on the liturgy committee and I could, I could write these prayers and I could plan these, these liturgies that really moved people and that were creative. And, and, um, and Cindy had a relationship with the Dominican sisters. They were trying to recruit her, so to speak. And, but she also had a relationship with the sisters of St. Joseph um, because she worked with one of the sisters doing what they called at the time tech retreats, Teens Encounter Christ. But that's not really how I met the sisters. Um, I met them because Cindy was planning an anniversary um, celebration for my parents, a liturgy, and she used a song by a sister of St. Joseph named Kathy Sherman, who's a composer, called All is Gift. And it was the most beautiful song, you know, well, it is the most beautiful song about how everything is gift, the sunrise and the tears we cry and everything is a gift from God. And I was so moved by the song and I um, asked Cindy where I could get it. And she told me, so I went and I came here to the center and bought this CD. And then at the same time, around the same time, our parish started offering what they called at home retreats and they were run by the sisters of St. Joseph. So I, I came to personally know the sisters through, through that retreat and I continued on with spiritual direction. I actually, when Cindy got sick with cancer, it was seemed like a good time to be doing more than an occasional retreat, but to have some ongoing spiritual direction. So that's how my relationship started. So for, for people who might be listening who have no idea what the well is and what, what you're offering, I might just, um, like I found it fascinating reading your program um, for the year, the calendar of events. You know, you've got Healing Gong, Rock mm-hmm. balancing, yoga, the mystics, universe story, midsummer celebration, Reiki, geology, photography, spiritual evolution, for- forest therapy, um, integral conscious evolution, mm-hmm. and a monthly dream group, and many other things. Um, right. What is it that you? What's your process for coming up with a, a program like that? Well. When the well first began, um, in 2000, the physical space of the well began, and it was, it was about mind, body, spirit. And, um, and that seemed important. It was really to service women in particular, helping them find balance in their busy lives, like working women and so forth. And then, uh, but earlier in the mid-1990s, the Kathy Sherman, who I mentioned, the mm. um, musician, and uh, Pat Bergen and Mary Southern and some other of the sisters who are very um, ecologically minded, uh, dreamt up the what they called Allium at the time. And, and Kathy had come to one of the assembly meetings of this, the congregation, and she, the sisters, the mission is, their, their charism is, is that all may be one, but their mission is um, the dear neighbor to live and work for the dear neighbor, which in the French where the, they have French origins means the one in front of you. And so, um, Kathy came to that meeting and she said, the dear neighbor in need now is earth. 
And so I'd like to start a ministry for earth. Mm. So those sisters started a ministry, but they didn't have a physical place. It was like their second job. They were teaching high school and then they went out to parishes and they did programming. And so um, then the physical space was created in 2000 and about a year or two later, the president at the time said, figure out how to put these together. So they dropped women and they called it the well. And there were these two strands. One was the evolutionary spirituality. um, And the other one was this wellness piece. So those have been part of the tradition of the well. And we find that the question that I think we ask is, is this a pro is this a, a program that will invite greater wholeness? Is it a program that invites us into oneness? And for many people, Reiki, Gong, yoga, those are their portals mm-hmm. for those experiences of spirit and of universe and so forth. And for other people, it's the ongoing spirituality, evolutionary spirituality and integral thinking those kind of classes. And then there's just some in-betweens because um, years ago, uh, we had a, a session uh, like a based on a appreciative inquiry, like a, who are we going to be and what do we want? And the father, John, the Jesuit said, well, I think the universe should story shouldn't be just the turkey at the banquet table. It should be the whole banquet table. Hmm. And and I said to him, you know, John, then, you know, I don't know if I would be here. Mm. Like it was, it was when I came to a, an at-home retreat at my parish and I was met where I was in my spirituality and I, and relationship was formed that allowed me to grow into the universe story. And so I think we want to have programs where people can enter, get to know us, build a relationship, feel safe here, and then they can move along. At least when I'm the facilitator, it doesn't matter what the name of the class is. They're getting the universe story in one way or another. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Because I'm coming out of that consciousness and I'm inviting them to come along. Hmm. Yeah, I noticed you. um, Yeah, thank you. I noticed that you run a program called What's So Sacred About Our Universe? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's your answer to that? everything <laughs> is sacred about our universe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it kind of goes back to the beginning where I said I had these experiences, which at the time I couldn't have called sacred. I wouldn't have had that language. But they touched someplace deep in me far more than Sunday Mass. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, I, and for many people, those two haven't been put together yet. Mm. So you are putting the two together. What is it that you're bringing from the tradition? Well, from the tradition, what? Hmm, how, how am I going to say this? Really, it's a bringing together is maybe not exactly the right language um, because it's really it's really about inviting people to understand that. Like when we when we tell the universe story, I'll say it this way: we say. Um, in the beginning when love can no longer contain itself, mm. right? Light and energy burst forth, you know? So we, we always ground it in the sense that the universe is the self-emptying of God and that God isn't 
apart from the universe at all, but rather the very DNA of the universe. Mm-hmm. And when I do this, I, I, when, I, when I'm inviting people into something so new, I do a lot of storytelling. And so very often I'll tell the story about my son, who's now 30. And when he was about 15, he came to me and he said, you know, mom, I don't like the name God and I'm not using it anymore. And I said, okay. And he was kind of like, you know, wanting to get me riled up, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so he said, I'm going to find a new word. And I said, all right. About, you know, two weeks later, he comes back and he said, I found my word. And I said, he said, do you want to know what it is? And I said, sure. And he said, divine being. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good word, Mike. And so then um, he said to me, you know, God is in us. And I said, right. And he said, I don't mean like in our hearts, the way my teachers taught me. Mm-hmm. I mean, God is, and he's getting really frustrated with this. And he said, God is, God is in our DNA. Right, Mike. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to wake up to. Yeah, I know you still our... Yeah, you're not, you don't shy away from the word God in, in some ways that others maybe do. Right. Um, you don't feel that, that it carries a lot of baggage. I do think it carries baggage, but I also, like I had somebody say to me one time, well, I don't like the word love or mm-hmm. I don't like the word Christ. I mean, we do it with every word and, and I think we can throw them all out or we can reclaim them. Mm. And so usually when we want to throw the word God out, it's because the image that we were given of God is way too small for us. And so we're throwing out the image, but we th- but we don't like we haven't been able to distinguish the image from the word, from the reality. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So God is so much so unnameable. Yet all the ways that God has been named by culture and by and by church um, has been very hurtful to to many many people. And um, and I think that I don't know. It feels important to help people reclaim some of that. Um, like there's an impulse that runs through the universe and some people call that impulse Christ. Some people call it the evolutionary impulse. Some people call it the mind of God. It hardly matters what you call it, but it matters that you're aligned with it. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, I mean, to me it does. Cause if I'm not aligned with that, then I, it's going to be much harder for me to move forward. It's going to be much harder for me to be drawn. I'm going to be acting out of my ego more likely and more often. And and I think people have tied the word Christ to, you know, Jesus as like his last name. Mm. And in doing so has so limited the power of the word. You know, like in spiritual and on the spiritual path, they say you always need somebody a little ahead of you. Yeah. And it's kind of like we're th- if we throw everything out, we don't have anything that's a little ahead of us. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it seems important to reclaim some of that word, but I'll, I'll often substitute universe or mystery or love. It all means the same thing to me with God. They're all interchangeable. Yeah. In the intro, I said that you consider yourself committed to cultivating and participating in the Christic field Mm -hmm. of inclusive outpour and communing love. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you mean by the Christic field. I think, well, for me, Christ is the, the, and I won't even, union isn't exactly the right word. You know, sometimes words fail you, Mm. but like when I say in the beginning, 
God poured God's self out. And so everything is melded or the DNA of God runs through everything. So that, that material and spiritual binding is the Christ. And if we woke up to that, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine our world if we saw, could you imagine what America would look like in this moment if we saw those children at the border as, as Christ? Mm-hmm. If we saw refugees from Syria as Christ? I mean, who would we bomb if we understood it was all Christ? And what, how, how could we destroy the planet if we understood it was Christ? And so I'm not talking about Christ as a, a separate entity, rather as an inclusive everything. And it's also the power that, that runs through and that, that has the ability, and, and, and you call it other things. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? But there, it's a, it's a, there needs to be a rising up of humanity. And for me personally, when I can, um, the fusion I feel with Christ coherence is what helps raise my energy and vibrational level. Mm. I noticed um, in your in your calendar of events, you've got a program coming up looking at Richard Raw's letters book, Universal Christ. Mm-hmm. I right. recently read that myself, and I, uh-huh. I was curious to know what surprised you or captured you about that book in particular. And well, the reason we're using it is um, because some people, like I've been traveling with a group for a long time who I don't, I mean, I don't care what, you know, we could read Charlotte's web and they'd come, they, you know, they just, it's about being together for them. It's church. Uh And, um, but uh, one of the women in the group had been at Richard Ward's conference when he introduced the universal Christ and she put it forth as I'd really like if we read this. So that's why I chose it. Um, I think Richard Ward serves a great purpose for people who are, uh, have two feet or even one foot in organized religion mm-hmm. to, to help broaden their perspective. Like I think there's many yeah. mainstream Christians, Catholic and otherwise, who w- are willing to see more than they see because Richard Rohr says it. Mm-hmm. Like they're willing to entertain that maybe the Christ is bigger than Jesus, or they're willing to see that maybe there's something sacred about our universe because Richard Rohr points to it. But I think what really um, touched me was, and I, I won't be able to pull it right up, you know, um, but I think at this time in, in, in the United States, it's a very, very challenging time <laughs> to try to hold a, a sense of inclusivity when there's so much divisiveness. And it's very hard right now because we have leaders in our government who are coming from a much different consciousness than, than I am and many people are. Mm. And the consciousness they're coming from has dire consequences. And, um, and so it's really easy for me to see them as other and for me to be really angry. I mean, here in the States, people's fam- family members are talking to each other over a political divide. And for me, it's, like, I'm, I'm probably the least political person I know, but but for me, this is a this is an issue of consciousness. And so anyway, Richard, in one of his chapters, it was five or six, chapter five or six, he kind of speaks in a way that I really felt like, oh, okay, 
you know, I can, this might help me sit with my frustration, my anger, my sense of helplessness um, around these issues. Mm. You know, it's, it's really hard. Like how many more people have to be killed before we come to sensible gun laws? Mm. It's really hard to not be so impassioned in a way that isn't helpful. I mean, it's important being passionate in a way that we take action, but it's gotten to the point in America that it's like a, like a war, mm-hmm. you know, between people who think it's important to, you know, secure our borders and people who think that it's, you know, amoral to be doing that. You know what I'm saying? And it, so anyway, or what we're doing with draw, rolling back ecological policies, you know, mm-hmm. my goodness, it's so disturbing. But he said something that really helped me. Like, I'm like, this, I have to stay with this. I have to meditate on this part of what he said. You know, I have here um, wholeness. Uh, he says at one part, wholeness for young was about harmony and balancing a holding operation more than an expelling operation. Uh, but he recognizes such circum- such, such consciousness was costly because humans preferred to deal with the tensions of life from various forms of denial. And I just wrote, this is our moment in time. This is what we're doing. You know, we're, it's our shadow coming up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, I've, and I've had that awareness before, but this time when I was reading about that, that, Carol, you know, it's the shadow part that we're seeing in our country right now. Then what came to me was, it's less about who the other is and more about healing my shadow. Mm-hmm. So I'm not contributing to the problem. Yeah, it seems like the well must be, or at least has the potential to be, such a wonderful experience of, you know, consolation and um, kind of a sanctuary in times of all that grief and frustration that so many are experiencing. Yes, I would say that's true. And um, that's exactly the words people use. And, And I think also for people who, church has been really important to them and now they're feeling like I don't know how I can participate in this um, church that isn't moving forward with you know with us and they feel a great sense of loss and grief and and then they find that sense of church with one another Mm -hmm. it's pretty profound Mm -hmm. and it's empowering Mm -hmm. yeah so w- what about yourself, for you personally? What's pushing you forward and, and or, or pulling you forward? And what sort of practices nourish you at this time? So really what draws me forward is a lot of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, um, you know, there's a quote um, from Wayne Dyer, which I came across recently and I used it in one of the classes that I was offering. And it says one individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of pure love and reverence for all of life will counter the balance, the negativity of 750,000 individuals who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. Mm. So what draws me forward is that is it's like, it feels as if I'm being invited to give my life to, um, rising consciousness, like to participate in the rising of consciousness. And I think I'm also propelled to do it. I have four children and four grandchildren. Mm. And the grandchildren are, you know, eight, four, 
two and a half and nine months. And like, I just want to pour my life out for those children and for all the children. You know, when I see pictures of the ice, the ice raids here where they take the undocumented workers and the children come home to no parents, like I'm grief stricken you know, the beauty of the trees. And so these massive forest fires and forest fires are healthy, but not to the degree we're experiencing them. Right. And so that, so I grieve for the trees and, and so it's the, it's the children of every species that I feel like I want to give my life pour my life out for. And what helps me is um, community, you know, so even though I have to uh, do the planning and the prep, when I gather with a group of people, who experience spirit, it's like I get a drink too. Yeah. Right? So that's one thing. And then as a staff, uh, you know, we try to have some meditative time together, some contemplative prayer time, um, so that there's a way we can plug in um, with and to each other. And we've been offering a lot of ecological days, like, you know, a trip to the Indiana National Dunes, you know? And uh, so we'll take turns going on those trips and they're so life-giving to be out in nature with a naturalist who's teaching us, <laughs> you know? So there are things like that that I do while I'm at work. And then when I'm, and then when I'm not at work, it's, it's really it's nature that does it for me. Being with my grandchildren does it for me. Quiet space, you know, that does it for me. And connecting on a, it's always life-giving for me when I connect with somebody heart to heart. Yeah, well, that so sounds the, really nourishing. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's why I think continual blossoming is, is such a good fit for me because giving ourselves to that field mm. and nourishing the field and um, also each other, like we uphold, we hold each other up. So. Yeah, well, now that you mention it, do you want to say some more about continual blossoming and um, what's going on there? Um, I think uh, it, everybody should do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think so a group, so group of women, generally about 40, 30 to 40 women at a time, you know, come together on Zoom from all around the world and um, make a commitment to connect both one-on-one in small group and in a large group. And in the large group, we're, we're activating some aspect of this field that, um, yeah, that's coming forth. It's, and we're, and we're kind of standing on the edge. We don't really know where we're going, but we have this immense trust that it's going somewhere mm-hmm. and that we'd like to participate consciously in that by listening deeply to the uh, field itself and to one another. Mm. What would you add to that, Sally? Oh, you just reminded me of that Tayad quote, which I think is partly what we're trying to do, isn't it? Like raising mm-hmm. the energy of love upwards. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, uh, exactly. I, I noticed on your website a beautiful African proverb, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to mm-hmm. go far, go together. <laughs> Right. And uh, that's something that we're, we're working on, isn't it? It's like the space between us. 
Um, right. Going together, going forward together rather than just our own solo spiritual project, you know. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think that quote really does sum up, you know, how I envision the work of the well. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, again, that same meeting I mentioned earlier, the appreciative inquiry meeting. And um, I remember at some point, somebody, uh, it was that Father John, and he said, the well is a place. And and this, like I knew in that moment, I got tears in my eyes, and I said, no, John, the well is a community. Mm. And, um, and that's, and that is what it is. Mm. I mean, it's not that just a place where people show up and take a class. They form community. And um, some people just come up and take a class, but for the most part, they form community and they find some sense of, of um, wholeness and safety and a place they can ask questions and explore. And um, yeah. Mm. It must be important to you, I guess, that you're kind of not always preaching to the converted as well, that you're actually doing the work of waking people up and challenging challenging everyone you know inviting everyone and the freedom of people to come in through different doorways um yeah how do you make sure that you're not just preaching to the converted all the time well there's no way of 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 knowing you know i guess one thing that i'm really appreciative of is that i mentioned like oh there's this group that's been together for a long time well you know, I never have a closed group. You know, I mean, I never say, well, this group's established and so it's not open. And so anything that I facilitate, even though I might do it all year long or from year to year, um, it's always open for new people. And there are always new people. And um, and they kind of come along. It's gentle. It's not like um, proselytizing or something. Yeah. It's, just, it's just gentle. And part of me trusts that people will come when they're ready. And some of it is just, um, you know, through our whatever publication we might put out, whether it's a blog or a video or, um, or you know, an appeal letter. You know, it, it doesn't matter. I, it's there, and it's it's for the it's for the taking. Um, and some people take it. And when people call, like a lot of parishes or schools call and ask us to do a retreat for them. And so that's a group that might not know us. And Mm. I do my best to meet them where they are while challenging them to go beyond. Because to be honest with you, I'm not really interested in going backwards in in any way. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm willing to say, I'll start here with scripture with you. And then I'm going to help break this open just a little bit more for you. (laughs) And some people come along and some people don't. Oh, one of the things that that happened in a, a, a group that, a, that's an ongoing group that I do is we were, you know, I was offering a ritual and one of the women in the group um, said, you know, I've only been with you for a year. Like, you know, this is, you're all, you've all been together and I'm, I'm new here, but I can feel strings from my heart to yours. And, um, and I, you know, I feel like, like I belong, even though I haven't been here from the beginning. And one of the other women said, um, you know, affirmed, well, you you are one of us. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. There's no difference. You know, it doesn't matter if you were here a year or 
or 10 years, it's, you know, our, we, our heartstrings attached to you too. And how beautiful. Okay. And that woman came in knowing nothing. And she'd say, well, this is really challenging me. And this is, but they come along because they're safe in their relationship and, and they recognize spirit. And another way that's done is on the board of directors. You know, sometimes you invite somebody not because they're well steeped in the well, but they have some other gift, but they kind of come along. Yeah, that's beautiful how inclusive and free and um, open the message is. Are some people terrified by it? A lot of people are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think they come if they are, but mm. I know, like I know personal, like people that I know from friends from outside of the well, I remember saying to one friend, you know, tell me about this. Like, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, why don't you come? And she said, because uh, it scares me. And I said, what scares you? I know I'll have to change. Mm. And I don't want to change anything. Yeah, yeah I'm just imagining a, a whole lot of um, stagnant uh beliefs and ideas and you know that that go into so many people's upbringing um mm-hmm. i guess it's so challenging to just allow that to fall away right mm. it is it is when i offered the sabbatical you know people would maybe they didn't always know what they were getting into mm. but but more often than not somebody would say they'd come to me and they'd say and their left hand, they'd say, this is, this is how I was formed. And this is what I grew up with. And, and now you're asking me to believe this. And they'd, they'd put their, you know, other hand out in the other direction, like there were two opposites. And I'd say, oh, no, no, no. See, the, and I would do it as a circle. And I'd say, this is what you grew up to believe. And I'm just asking you to expand it just as much as you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just because really I wasn't doing the expanding. It was really God was doing the invitation, right? Mm-hmm. Or whoever we call that mystery. And then I would say, you know, what you know is just being invited to expand. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. Because just naturally what doesn't fit anymore falls away, mm. just like it does in, in evolution, right? Mm. If it no longer works, it falls away. That's right. And it, it must take a lot of courage on your part to to be the one that doesn't want to go back to the old story, who's always pulling from up ahead. Yeah, sometimes it does. But, you know, but I feel like, um, you know, I feel like at least when I'm here at the well, it's that's sort of the expectation, right? It's Mm. kind of held up. But like an example of that is I was just asked to do a, a retreat for a group of associates and um and I forget there was some conversation with them and then they said well do you have any ideas and I said uh well yeah you know these are like it was a group of associates from many different congregations it's you know not just like sisters of St. Joseph (coughs) and I said you know I have this fantasy or dream I guess I, I have a dream that um we're standing at this really critical moment, right? All of our systems are failing us. And, and Catholic nuns 
have been traditionally the ones who have moved the ecological movement forward, and they have moved social justice issues forward. And, you know, whether it's hospitals or education, whatever is needed at the time, they are the ones who move the agenda forward. And now this group, you know, the, the associates have been formed as a way to carry on the sisters' work with them and beyond them, right? And, um, and so... Um, so I said, I, you know, could you imagine if the, if we really pulled together into, to like a movement mm. to, and they were like, looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> they just were like, what, what? I don't even get what you have said. <laughs> and, and so, um, and, and so sometimes that's hard, mm-hmm. you know, because I really do hold that dream yeah. and, um, but not everybody's there. You know, they want, they decided on the topic of spiritual resilience and, and that's fine. I can do that, but I'll do it in those circles. <laughs> you know, what does it mean as to us as an individual? What does it mean to us as a collective? As to what does it mean to humanity? What does it mean to the planet? You know, I'll move out, I'll move out further because it's who I am and it's what you get. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a very alluring image and a very alluring vision to me at least <laughs> so um yeah. yeah yeah i think we'll we'll have to wind up here bridget but i want to okay. thank you for um sharing so much of your story your personal story as well as all the work that you're doing in the well um i'm so glad you're there <laughs> naming and nurturing Thanks. spirit in every one of us and um on that new story so thank you thank you The Thresholds team at Rahamim live, work and create this podcast on the lands which have been and always will be Wiradjuri country. We give our respect and gratitude to their elders, past, present and emerging who continue to teach us ancient wisdom for living in harmony within Earth's limits. Rahamim Ecology Centre is an ecological ministry of the Sisters of Mercy of Australia and Papua New Guinea. Facilitating a new worldview for our times and our relationship with the natural world through education, spirituality and advocacy. For more information about us and our programs, please visit www.rahamim, that's R-A-H-A-M for Mary, I-M for Mary, .org.au. The Thresholds podcast is edited by Anastasia Freeman.